Welcome to the brand new Patriots and Pinstripes podcast, the official podcast of the New York Yankees AA affiliate Somerset Patriots. And the Patriots have won it! Somerset! My name is Mark Schwartz. On this show, I'll cover all things Somerset Patriots and New York Yankees, from the organizational structure all the way down to the prospects, the AA Northeast League, and everything in between. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. The season continues to wind down, and this week we'll recap the series against the Altoona Curve. We'll also look ahead to the Akron Rubber Ducks, and toward the end, we'll check in with Mark Schwartz and get all his thoughts on the ballparks that he's seen this season and check in with the rest of the Yankees affiliates. It's all coming up next on the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. Who wants to play baseball? Let's go! Yes, sir! Woo! All righty, Brandon Felter with Mark Schwartz. And Mark, another week here down the stretch that uh, feels like the Patriots just did not do what they needed to do. They split a six-game set against the Altoona Curve. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, a series going in where we previewed it last week, Brandon, and uh, it felt like it was a series that Somerset should take, should take at least four of six. Uh, you know, it's an Altoona Curve team. They split a six-game series with back in late July. Uh, the pitching staff wasn't too remarkable. Really where it's at for the curve is the lineup. And, uh, you know, going into this week, there were three notable injuries, two from a position player standpoint, uh, one being O'Neill Cruz, one of the top prospects in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, uh, the other being Cannon Smith and Jigba, and then also Romanzi Contreras on the pitching staff side of things for the curve. Uh, so Cruz wound up coming back this week, and I know we'll get into him in a bit. Uh, he wound up starting two games, Friday and Sunday. Uh, but before we got to that point, you know, it was a week where the Patriots, you know, they got off to a good start. They had that, that big win on Tuesday night, and then were stunned with a walk-off loss on Wednesday night uh, after they had rallied to take a lead in the top of the ninth inning to drop that one in the bottom of the ninth uh, was certainly a stunner. And then they probably had – in my opinion, at least, uh, two of their worst back-to-back games of the entire season. Um, it was a minus 13 run differential in their losses between Thursday night, uh, which was a 5 nothing loss, and then a Friday night 11-3 to defeat. So, yes, they had a five-game losing streak earlier this season, including a couple of games against the Altoona Curve that they let slip away late, and that was probably the lowest point of the season for the Patriots. But in the middle of this series against Altoona, um, with that walk-off loss and then uh, the negative 13 run differential between Thursday night and Friday night, that felt like another low point for the Patriots this year. Uh, and this was in a series where, you know, every game is so important, and it's a talented Patriots team. Now, they have a lot of roster moves, people going in, people coming out. We'll get to that as well. Uh, but it, it felt like it was another low point in a series where Somerset should have been riding high. Uh, so for them to finish the week strong with wins on Saturday and Sunday, was certainly promising and, and really what the team needed. If they didn't bounce back to win those games Saturday and Sunday, uh, there would be a completely different tenor uh, to this team and how we look at them moving forward. Yeah, definitely really important that they bounced back to take the final two. In the middle three that you were just alluding to, as you mentioned on Wednesday night, a walk-off loss 6-5. to five. They had gone ahead by a run in the top of the ninth inning, and then Daniel Amaral walked it off with a two-run homer. Then there were blanked 5 to nothing. I believe that was only the fifth time all season that the Patriots had been shut out 
And coming off of that, just get absolutely walloped in an 11-3 to loss. So those middle three really stung. But some positives in this series, Oswald Peraza back in the Patriots lineup, and boy, did he get off to a really hot start at the uh, beginning of the series. Yeah, it was great to see Peraza back. We didn't know for sure if he was going to be back with the team this week. We were certainly hoping that he was going to be back. He had, of course, missed a very important Portland Sea Dogs series, spending time with the New York Yankees taxi squad. Uh, So for him to be back in the lineup on Tuesday night was very promising. And uh, with Brandon Lockridge nursing an injury, the Patriots had a spot open at the top of their order, and Peraza was plugged into that spot. And, you know, he made his presence known. He had a solo home run in his first at bat back with the team on that Tuesday night game that led off the entire series and, and certainly started the series well for the Patriots. And then uh, the rest of that night, he went four for six. He had three runs batted in, uh, which was a season high for him. And then overall the entire week, he was batting lead off for the team. And, you know, it's a different team when Oswald Peraza is in the lineup, not, not just because of what he could do at the plate, but also what he could do in the field. And, uh, I, I, you know what, I was thinking about this, Brandon, on my drive home last night, because what else was I going to think about on a four-hour drive from <laughs> Altoona back to Jersey? I was thinking, like, you know, when we post content about Oswald Peraza on Twitter, and there's a bunch of Yankee fans that tweet and say, like, oh, my God, you know, the future and, and all of that stuff. I don't think that, that the fans that we've had at the ballpark, I don't think people really understand how good of a player he is. Because if you look at his numbers, like they're solid numbers, they don't necessarily jump off the page. He's hitting 296. He has eight home runs, 26 RBI, 13 stolen bases. Those are good numbers. But it's just the kind of player that he is. He's always productive. It's strong at bats. It's like a really good glove, really solid range, a strong arm in the field. He does so many things well that it's easy for, to forget sometimes why he is the number three prospect in the Yankees organization and why he's the number 64 overall prospect in baseball, that according to MLB.com. I mean, those are impressive accolades for Peraza, and I feel like it gets lost sometimes because he's so smooth at what he does, and it doesn't necessarily jump off the page. But um, the contributions that he made over the course of the week, he reached base safely in five of the six games, had multi-hit games in four of the six games, uh, drove home six runs, in the series, stole a couple of bases, scored two runs, as well, uh, rather scored four runs as well. Uh, just a really strong series uh, for Oswald Peraza and, and such an important part at the top of this Patriots lineup. Yeah, I mean, I think what you were saying there, it's almost as if we see him every single day. And it's, it's hard to, I guess, compare when that's just what we're accustomed to seeing. And that's what Patriots fans are accustomed to seeing. And I think his defense, what you honed in on there, those little things that he does or that extra range on a ball that he gets makes it look so easy that you don't necessarily notice a lot of the plays that he's making that other guys are not able to. Some uh, Another addition really big for the Patriots here, and a guy we expect to really see with Somerset the rest of the way, Mickey Gasper getting called up. He caught in a game. I would think we might see him some at first base as well, and he provided some pop in the back. Yeah, so he only wound up playing in one game with the team uh, this weekend, but it was exciting. Uh, He had a home run. He had two runs batted in in that game. And, you know, this is somebody who is a little bit more of an experienced uh, player in the Yankees organization, 25 years old. Uh, He began the season 
on the injured list. Uh, and then it was a 60-day injured list for Gasper and then uh, made his way over to high A Hudson Valley. Only wound up playing a week there in Hudson Valley, put up strong numbers, and now is here in Somerset. Uh, but if you look at his numbers back in 2019, the way he finished that season uh, with the Tampa Tarpons, I mean, he played pretty much the whole season under Julio Mascara in Charleston, then was transferred to Tampa at the end of the year, hit 321 uh, over his final, what was it, 23 games with the Tarpons. So he's somebody that could bring a solid bat to this Patriots lineup. He's showed off strong power uh, over the course of his minor league career. And, uh, you know, it's another option for Somerset, who right now is carrying four catchers. They last night in, in the in the Sunday night game, the Patriots had eight available position players off of the bench. <laughs> now they, they were able to carry an extra player because of the major league rehab assignment with Gio Urshela, which we'll get to. But right now they've got Gasper, Illig, Bro, and Lopez. Now you know we are recording this podcast right now on Monday. Uh, I would imagine before Tuesday's game we'll see some sort of transactions. I'm not sure what they'll be but I imagine we'll see something. But, uh, you know, Gasper is a player. We've seen the Patriots a number of times this year use their second catcher as a designated hitter, uh, with Bro getting a lot of the looks behind home plate. But Gasper is somebody that can certainly be plugged in as a DH. And we, we know he's got the pop. And, you know, that's worked out well for the Patriots so far this season. They've been a team that, by and large, has hit a lot of home runs. And, and Gasper fits into that mold quite well. I almost wonder, too, in terms of prospects and development, if he gets some looks at first base and maybe Dermis Garcia, who has struggled mightily uh, really throughout this entire season, maybe he takes a little bit of a step back. That's really an unknown, and we'll see how that plays out through, uh, through these next couple weeks. Yeah, well, what's interesting with Garcia, we've seen him get a couple of looks at third base this week, and he was originally signed as a shortstop as an international free agent to begin his professional career. And so he has experience on the left side of the infield and his bat, you know, it profiles as a first baseman because he has the power, but if he was able to do what he does at the plate and, and be a third baseman, uh, you know, that would be an even greater benefit for the Yankees uh, because you don't see many third basemen that have the, the kind of power that Garcia has. Now, a name to also follow in regards to playing time at first base is Chad Bell. He made two starts at first base this week and, you know, for a while we saw Max Bird as sort of the backup first baseman, but Bird's now with AAA Scranton Wilkesbury. Um, but Chad Bell has a lot of pop. Uh, he had his best game probably as a Patriot, had two hits and two RBI on Sunday night. And uh, I, I think the Yankees want to see more playing time out of him. So I think that there's going to be situations where you see either Garcia at first or Bell at first, or if you can put Gasper at first, then you have either Garcia or Bell at third base, DHing as well. Um, but then you wonder about how many playing time you're going to give somebody like Jesus Bastidas, who's reached base safely now in 15 games, because you have Oswald Peraza at short and Oswaldo Cabrera over at second. So there's playing time questions that, that need to be hammered out throughout the rest of the year, for sure. And uh, with third base on the mind as well, let's just jump right into Sunday's game. A little surprise for the both of us, Gio Urshela making a rehab appearance for the Patriots. This is one of the few that was maybe a little off the radar, and I guess Sunday morning, Saturday night, there was a hint of it, but it kind of popped up, and, well, it worked out for Somerset. Yeah, it certainly did. I, the reason why Urshela was playing with the team uh, was basically Hurricane Henri. 
Urshela had been practicing. He had been taking BP. He had been taking ground balls at Yankee Stadium, working his way back from a hamstring injury um, over the last week. And, and there had been coverage by the Yankees, the Yes Network, uh, that Urshela was in town at Yankee Stadium, working his way back. And some people had hypothesized that he was going to play with a minor league team towards the end of the week. And then Hurricane Henri comes in, and Scranton Wilkesbury's in Worcester, they get canceled a day in advance because of the hurricane. Hudson Valley's at home against the Brooklyn Cyclones and would have been a natural fit for Urshela, uh, but they get canceled a day in advance. The Yankees get canceled a day in advance as well at Yankee Stadium. So the only game in town from a Yankee affiliate perspective were the Patriots. Now, they were a four-hour drive away from Yankee Stadium over, um, you know, in Altoona, Pennsylvania, which is a, you know, an hour and a half east of Pittsburgh down in southwestern PA. Uh, but the Patriots were the only ones playing, and the Yankees wanted to get Urshela some looks. So it worked out well. Uh, Gio drove over to uh, People's Natural Gas Field to play in the game, and there was a little bit of rain that had a quick rain delay at the beginning of the game, but he got in, and uh, he went three for four had a double, had two runs scored, looked comfortable. When he was at the plate, he had some nice swings, but I, I would say that he was – it didn't look like he was running at 100% when he would leave the box. Um, I would, I'm, would imagine that's probably because he's just, you know, keeping – holding things back himself and not that he doesn't have the ability. Uh, but, like, on his double, kind of glided around first base and, and didn't wasn't necessarily running at top speed. But he looked good at the plate. He looked good on the couple of chances that he got defensively. And uh, now it's crazy, Brandon. It's the 10th major league rehab assignment for the Patriots this season. They're eighth that they've gotten really in the last three weeks. Things have picked up. And, uh, you know, we'll see what this upcoming homestand has in store for the Patriots. I want to check in on a former Patriot that uh, we saw this week in Altoona, Diego Castillo, a guy that uh, rose in the Yankees' ranks his entire career before being traded away really struck us as a clubhouse favorite, a fan favorite here in Somerset as well. What did you see from him? Were there any moments, uh, interactions, pregame or postgame that you saw on the field? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Diego was constantly hugging guys uh, on the Patriots. I mean, you you know, Brandon, you got a chance to talk to him earlier this season. He's a great guy, and everyone over here loved him. And so uh, there was a number of embraces. Even Gio Urshela embraced uh, Diego before the game on Sunday. I think we had gotten a chance to hear from Oswald Peraza early in the season, and Oswald Peraza had mentioned that Gio Urshela was one of those players that he really linked up with at spring training before the season to get some work in and try to learn how to carry himself as a major leaguer from a mental perspective and from an on-the-field perspective as well. Uh, but Diego was, was hugging guys, was dapping with them, was uh, having a good time. And there was a number of plays because Diego plays along the infield. I mean, he most of the games this week, he got the start over at shortstop. So he's the one that's covering second base on stolen base attempts. And there were a countless amount of times where the Patriots stole second and uh, Castillo would play around and have the, the glove on the base for a, a couple of extra seconds or kind of try to push somebody and nudge them off the base a little bit. Uh, just all in good fun because he's friendly with all the guys on the team. But he was having, you know, he's always smiling when he's on the field. He's always having a good time. And uh, he was joking around with a lot of the guys on the Patriots. And it was nice to see uh, because he was such an important part of the team at the beginning of the season. And it came as a surprise to all of us when he was, uh, you know, involved in that deal that, that sent him over to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, we, we certainly weren't expecting that. 
And, uh, you know, it's nice to see Diego again. He's performing well. He's hitting third in the lineup consistently in a good curve lineup as well. And his production hasn't tailed off at, at, at all. It's on the same trajectory as it was in his time here in Somerset. So he, he's performing well, and we wish nothing but the best for Diego. He's, he's a really easy guy to root for. And another guy that's very easy to root for and for Somerset, a local kid coming from Jersey, Sean Semple, coming right back with another gem of an outing, coming off of probably his toughest since he's been back from Somerset uh, from Hudson Valley. But he just really responded this past week. Yeah, look, I, I, I talked about it on the air um, for Semple's start this week. It felt really similar, <clears throat> honestly, to the start that Sean Semple had in his first start back with the Patriots. If you remember, Semple came on the mound against the Altoona Curve at home in that late July series, and the Patriots had lost five games in a row. It was a low point for them in the season. Semple's first start back, he tossed six shutout innings against the Curve, stopped the losing streak, worked as an ace basically for this team, and righted the ship. When he came on the mound for the Patriots on Saturday night, they had lost three games in a row. They had that negative 13 run differential over their previous two ball games and felt like they were reeling a bit. And so Semple came on the mound in a similar position, and he worked as a stopper. Once again, six shutout innings against the Altoona Curve. This time he struck out six. And he, he was back to that confident way uh, that we saw from him uh, over those first couple of starts back after his time in Hudson Valley. He works quickly. He trusts the fastball. He's able to spot it where he wants it to be. And I, I will say right now, I know we'll get into Hayden Wisniewski in a moment, but I probably feel the most confident with Sean Semple on the mound for this Patriots team with the way that he's pitching currently. I mean, you take out – you can't take out any games, but if you take out that one game against Portland, uh, his, you know, back on the 15th where he allowed five runs over five innings of work, he's only allowed two earned runs over his last six appearances. I mean, he, he's been so strong since he's come back from Hudson Valley. He's been a different pitcher. He's lowered his ERA on the season at the double-A level, uh, now down to 3.30. And uh, he was a, another really, really strong start on Saturday. And that's really saying something when you look at the Patriots pitching staff and Luis Medina, who has just incredible stuff if he can have the command. Ken Waldachuk, a top Yankees prospect who is really dazzled. And uh, then the next pitcher that we'll talk about, Hayden Wisniewski, who continues to absolutely shove in the month of August, a one one six ERA across 23 and a third innings pitched. Uh, he got the series started on Tuesday night with a shutout performance, six scoreless innings, and he carried 17 and a third scoreless innings of work into his start on Sunday. And uh, he did give up two home runs on Sunday, but those were really the only two balls that were mistakes from Wesneski. Uh, it was just those two runs. He struck out seven over five and a third innings. And, uh, you know, with Wesneski, uh, it looked at the beginning of his time at A that some of his pitches just seemed a little flat. Um, you know, and we've talked before, Brandon, about the difference between high A and double A, and it's significant. And you can get away with certain pitches at the high A level that you're not going to get away with at the double A level. And when he first came over to the Patriots, some of those pitches, I don't know what exactly they looked like in his time with the Renegades. I know he impressed a lot of scouts, uh, but he was getting hit hard. He was giving up a lot of home runs when he first came over. But now, you know, he's 
it, it really comes down to the three pitches for Wesneski. It's a fastball, it's a cutter, and a sinker. And all three of those look similar out of the hand, but they have different breaks to them. The four-seam fastball is straighter. The sinker obviously has more sink to it, and the cut can work a little into left-handed batters away from right-handed batters. And, you know, when he has all three of those pitches working, it's hard to read which one's which coming off the hand. And uh, that's been a big part of his success over the last couple of starts. The month of August has belonged to Hayden Wesneski. Certainly has to be in a part of the conversation for the pitcher of the month. I haven't done research to see what other pitchers have done in the month around the league, but it's hard to be better than uh, the way that Wesneski's pitched lately. Yeah, the, the pitching staff is huge for the Patriots because as we've seen, Somerset goes as their pitchers do in the first half of the season. Somerset finished, I want to say, 17 games over 500. It was a 2.90 ERA. Last I checked, they're sitting right around 500 here in the second half, and the ERA was sitting around four. So a substantial difference in record and ERA, and that just goes to show how important the pitching is for the Patriots. We hope that Semple and Wisniewski continue to shine. Luis Medina settling down a little bit because he has been struggling just some as of late. But the Patriots split a a six-game set with the Altoona curve. Next, we turn to the Akron Rubber Ducks as Somerset returns home. We'll break down that series when we return on the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. Discover the future you at Centenary University. Visit an upcoming virtual information session to learn more about flexible degree or certificate programs online or in person through Centenary Choice. Centenary offers small class sizes, individualized attention, thousands of dollars in scholarships, classes just for returning adults, and new programs including public health, computer science, supply chain management, and certified financial planning. Learn more about how you can earn your degree on your busy schedule. Centenary University. Discover the future you. At RWJ Barnabas Health, we have a passion for heart health. With the largest adult and pediatric cardiac surgery programs in the state, a heart transplant program that's top 15 in the nation, a partnership with Rutgers Health, the latest technology and medical advancements and nationally renowned care for every heart in every one of our communities. Whoever your heart beats for, our hearts beat for you. Let's be healthy together. Visit rwjbh.org heart. Somerset returns home. It's a six-game set against the Akron Rubber Ducks. First time the Patriots are seeing Akron, and they'll play 12 games over the next four weeks through the end of the season against this Akron team. They currently hold the top spot in the playoffs. As we take a look at that right now, it is Akron and Bowie, the two teams in the Southwest Division that have those top two spots. And then Portland and Somerset are tied. They sit a game and a half back. And it's really, Mark, as we look at the overall standings, just kind of those four teams that seem like they're in this race. I mean, Altoona is kind of on the outskirts looking in, but things need to change drastically for them to have a shot. Yeah, it, it's weird with Altoona because I, I look at their lineup and that lineup could go up against any other team in the league. They are, they are a dangerous team. And uh, right now the Patriots are tied with them in terms of the overall season series, six games aside. But, you know, right now they're on the outside looking in. 
They are five and a half games behind the Patriots in fifth place in the overall standings, uh, which means that they are seven games behind the Bowie Bay Sox. And with four weeks now left in the season to make up seven games, it's not insurmountable, uh, but it's certainly not likely. One thing working in Altoona's favor is that, uh, you know, and working in, I would say, the Portland Sea Dogs' favor as well, is that for the Patriots, 18 of their final 24 games of this regular season are against the two teams that currently are holding the two playoff spots. They have 12 games against the Akron Rubber Ducks, and they have six games against the Bowie Bay Sox. And then sandwiched in between there, um, as a nice little cream filling for the Oreo cookie sandwich that is the rest of the Patriots' season schedule, is uh, a six-game series against the Hartford Yard Goats, uh, which Somerset basically needs to sweep or at least take five of six from if they really want to have a chance to make the postseason this year. But, um, you know, the Patriots have these 18 games left against the teams that they need to beat. And, you know, Brandon, we've talked about how it would be, it's always nice, you know, if the rest of the season schedule for the Patriots was against like Hartford and Harrisburg and Reading. So you have easier quote unquote opponents, but you know, the more that I think about it, you kind of want to have an opportunity to beat who you're chasing, right? So you don't have to necessarily worry about, you know, the teams that you're chasing having to lose against other opponents. So the Patriots, they have it within their means having 18 games left against Portland, against rather Bowie and Akron, where if they're able to take a good amount of those games, they could find themselves in the playoffs. It's within their reach. They've just got to beat the teams that are ahead of them. So it's going to be a really interesting final four weeks. But, you know, I, if I'm a Patriots fan, if, even if I'm a member of the Somerset Patriots team, I'm energized by the opportunity to win games against the opponents that you're chasing because that will give you a direct route into the postseason. Somerset controls their own destiny, like you said. And we've kind of mentioned they've got to take four of six in the rest of these series down the road. If they end the year 12 of 18 against a Bowie and Akron, it's kind of hard to see them missing the playoffs the way that things are shaping up right now. So they definitely control their own destiny. A couple of big names in this Rubber Ducks lineup. Uh, one that we will not see because he's been sidelined for the year is the Indians' top prospect, Tyler Freeman. He had season-ending shoulder surgery. But a couple names just to mention, Bo Naylor, the catcher, who is one of the most impressive offensively at the alternate site for the Indians last year. Brian Rocchio, an infielder, is uh, ranked the seventh prospect for both MLB Pipeline and Baseball America. And Logan Allen, a left-handed pitcher, the 10th-ranked prospect on uh, both of those as well. And uh, Mark, I know there were a couple of big names that jumped out to you. Yeah, I mean, you know, those names are certainly the names to watch. And it's always interesting. I mean, we are four weeks away from the end of the season. We're seeing a new team here. We haven't seen the Akron Rubber Ducks at all. So it's, you know, it's a learning about, you know, this entire team. Now, there have been a, uh, a number of players throughout the course of the season. Oscar Gonzalez is one for the Rubber Ducks. He had a 330 batting average over uh, 49 games with the Rubber Ducks earlier this season. Uh, I'm looking right now to see if he's still a member of that active roster. It doesn't look like he is. Uh, so, you know, you look at the, the prospect, Bo Naylor, uh, an impressive catching prospect. He's only hitting 190 on the season, uh, over 68 games. He does have nine home runs and 40 runs batted in. You know, Freeman was a big player for them, was hitting over 300. But as you mentioned, he's hurt. One of the big names that popped out to me is on the pitching side, 
Uh, they've had a couple of pitchers uh, that have put together really strong seasons. Uh, one, in fact, who right now is just on the outside of being a qualified pitcher in the league, but if he was qualified, would have the lowest ERA in the league is the Southpaw Tanner Tully. Uh, he's actually pitching in his third season with the Akron Rubber Ducks, pitched with them in 2017, made 23 starts with them in 2019, and in 2021, he is 6-3 and three with a 2.68 ERA. But the main pitcher that stands out to me, and somebody who I spoke about on the broadcast a couple of days ago, who right now, in my opinion, has the inside track for the Pitcher of the Year award in this league is Juan Hillman. Uh, he technically, among qualified pitchers right now in the league, has the lowest ERA at 3.48. He's tied for the league lead in wins. He has the most games started of, uh, of any pitcher in the league. He ranks seventh in strikeouts. Uh, he also uh, leads the league in innings whip pitched, fourth in the league in whip, seventh in the league in batting average against, tied for first in the league in winning percentage. Uh, so Hillman, somebody who the Patriots will likely see at some point this week once we get the probables uh, for this series, but uh, somebody that has had a significant amount of success over the course of the season and, uh, you know, certainly a part of that conversation for, for pitcher of the year in the league. I was surprised to see with all the names that we mentioned, Akron with the best overall record in the AA Northeast League. I think also of note is their skipper, Ruglas Odor, is the uncle of current Yankee Rugnet Odor. So a little connection there. Mark, uh, quickly here, as we look at the schedule, four weeks left in the season, just 12 games left at home, which is just unbelievable to me but uh so fans certainly come on out but uh mark what do you kind of see here over these next 12 home games we've got six against akron then at Bowie before we're returning home for six against hartford yeah so you know for we'll get more to that hartford series when, when the time comes but really quickly somerset's got to take five of six They're, they have a, a number of tough opponents left hartford has the worst record of the entire league they are currently 31 and 63. So that's 32 games below 500. Uh, they swept Hartford in Hartford earlier this season. So you got to f- figure out a way to take at least five of six against the Yard Goats in that, that really, really important final series at home. Uh, for this week against Akron, you mentioned it before, Brandon. I think the numbers that you have to look at, you, you want to take four of six in each of these next series between you know Akron at home, Bowie on the road, and Akron on the road. If you're able to take four of six, if you're able to win each of those series, then you're gaining at least one game on each of those teams you know, over the course of the, of the rest of the season. Now, the Patriots right now are three games behind Akron. So if they're able to, in their 12 games against the Rubber Ducks, say go, what would it be, eight and four? By taking four of six in each series, then, you know, Right there, what, what are they doing? They're gaining, what is it, four games on Akron, right, uh, with, that, with that differential. If they're able to take four of six against the Bowie Bay Sox, then they gain two games on Bowie. So, uh, you know, that's the math that you're looking at out of the rest of the season. And uh, if the Patriots are able to do that, then they'd be in a strong position. If they're not able to do that, then they're going to need help. And, uh, you know, Portland has that easy schedule throughout the rest of the season. So I don't know if they're going to get much help there. Uh, in terms of Akron and Bowie, I don't know if they're going to get much help there as well. So if the Somerset Patriots are going to make the postseason this year, you know, they, they control their own destiny. they got to win games against the opponents that are upcoming on their schedule. And it all starts with taking at least four of six against the Rubber Ducks this week. 
It is a pivotal series against Akron here at TD Bank Ballpark in Bridgewater. First pitch at 7.05 Tuesday through Saturday and Sunday at 5.05 start. You can catch all the action on 1450 WCTC and MILB TV. And if you want to come out and see the ball, uh, game in person here at the ballpark, be sure to get your tickets at SomersetPatriots.com. But we've still got a little to get to on the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. When we come back, we'll talk in ballparks around the AA Northeast League. That's next on the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. The Patriots in Pinstripes podcast is brought to you by TD Bank. TD Bank is changing the game with curbside debit card replacement. Whether your debit card was lost in the couch or chewed up by your dog, we've got you covered. Just order a new debit card through the TD Bank app. Then you can walk, bike, or drive up to your nearby TD Bank to score your new card. Now that's the MVP treatment. TD Bank, proud sponsor of the Somerset Patriots. Member FDIC, TD Bank, N.A. Curbside pickup is only available for personal debit card replacements. Green Knoll Golf Course, located in Bridgewater Township and less than five minutes from Route 22, is the original Somerset County Park Commission course. Since 1960, golfers have enjoyed the rolling layout with slight elevation changes throughout the course. Green Knoll Golf Course also features a nine-hole pitch and putt course with holes ranging from 40 to 100 yards. Call 908-722-1301 or visit greennollgolf.com to book a tee time today. Well, Mark, nearly through the inaugural season for the Patriots as a minor league affiliate. And that means for the first time in a long time, a bunch of brand new ballparks that the Patriots have been to by my count, including TD Bank Ballpark here. You've been to 6 of 12. I know I've also been to Hartford. And Bowie and Akron are still on the table and uh, will certainly be there once the season is over. So let's take a step back and, and talk about some of these parks because we really haven't on the podcast. We don't have much time on the broadcast to get into them as well. But what have been some of the more unique aspects that jump out to you so far? That's a great question, Brandon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would say it. Every ballpark that I've been to so far this year has had their own unique characteristics in one way. Uh, we began up in Portland against the Sea Dogs over at Hadlock Field, and uh, Portland is a beautiful harbor city, great food scene, a lot of breweries up there. I ate my weight in lobster, which I very much enjoyed. <laughs> uh, there, there's one, I know it's not a ballpark, but there, there's one specific lobster shack uh, the lobster roll was just okay. It wasn't anything special, but it was right in the shadow of a lighthouse on the water up in Portland, Maine. Beautiful, beautiful place. I'd recommend anybody going there. Uh, in terms of the, the, the ballpark itself up there, it really reflects the town well. It's an old school kind of feel to it. Not many bells and whistles, um, old bones to it. But you, you walk in and you know that you're there to watch a baseball game. Which, which is nice, honestly, because there's a lot of new ballparks that have all of these different amenities, which are fun and engaging. But, you know, sometimes it gets lost that you're actually there to watch a ball game. So Portland was a great place to watch a game. Um, not too much loud, blaring music. Uh, most of the stands towards the, uh, the upper level 
Uh, it's all accessible from one level. You just walk up, but there's a big number of bleacher seating um, for really like the final eight or nine rows before you get to the suite level and the press box up at the top. So the ballpark can get loud because when fans get into it, they stomp their feet on the metal bleachers uh, at the top of the stand. So it creates this thundering sound when, when the team performs well and actually creates pretty nice home field advantage. They also have a lighthouse um, in center field. Whenever they hit a home run, it's like the home run apple at, uh, at City Field for the Mets. The lighthouse kind of rises from center field, and then it has like fireworks shooting off the sides of it, uh, which really caught me by surprise the first time that it, <laughs> that it happened because I was not expecting it. Uh, but it was, uh, it's, a, it's a unique um, aspect to that ballpark there. So Hadlock Field was really nice. Um, then after that, we went to Harrisburg. And Harrisburg, the ballpark, I would say, was fine. Nothing to write home about. But the cool aspect of Harrisburg is that the ballpark sits on an island. It's an island in the middle of the Susquehanna River called City Island. And around the ballpark, there's a mini golf course. There's a nice little train that runs around the perimeter of the island. Uh, fans can walk over from downtown Harrisburg, the actual city, walk over a pedestrian bridge to get to the ballpark. So it has a kind of Pittsburgh Pirates PNC kind of feel to it. Um, so that, that was a really cool aspect of that ballpark. And I mean, I could go on about all of them, um, but the – on that first road trip, that's what stood out, at least for those two places. And I know one of your favorite ballparks, probably toward the top of your list. I mean, I don't want to speak for you, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you really enjoyed your time at Reading. I did. I loved Reading. That place was so much fun. Um, <laughs> that, it, they, the nickname for Reading is Baseball Town. And they, I mean, it, it kind of throws you off as a broadcaster because they basically have three names for the ballpark. There's First Energy Stadium, which is the official name and sponsor of the ballpark. And then they call it America's Classic Ballpark, um, and deservedly so for the setup there. And then they also have the nickname for the entire area called Baseball Town. Um, and Reading has a, a carnival kind of feel to it. Uh, but it, it pairs it really well with an old school feel for the ballpark, uh, there's only one really small corridor uh, for a quote-unquote concourse directly behind home plate, and the walls in that small corridor are littered with history about the ballpark, and there's so much history. I mean, they've been a Philadelphia Phillies affiliate for forever, and they were briefly a Red Sox affiliate before that. Um, so the players that have gone through that facility who have played there are, are just tremendous historic figures. And they have um, all of these newspaper clippings and pictures and stats all littered around the walls in this small little corridor behind home, which, by the way, on the other side, inside that corridor, are some of the best French fries you'll get at any ballpark. Uh, real shoestring fries. They're called Manny's fries. And it's like McDonald's French fries. Um, but they're they, so good. They have Burke's hot dogs, which are very good as well. Uh, and then, but the main attraction for me in, in Reading, when you walk into the ballpark, you enter through the first base gate and there's this opening where it feels like you're, you're down the shore. You're at like, you're at like Jenkinson's, you're at like a boardwalk or something. Um, because all of the food stands are kind of lined up on the perimeter of this big open space. And there's tables that are in the middle where it's a communal seating area where people just 
get the food at these concession places and then sit down at the table. And then every game before the game, they have live music on a stage inside that open area. Uh, and then they have live music most nights after the game as well. And they keep a bar open late an hour after the game ends. Um, so a lot of live music and the main live music attraction they have in Reading is their mascot band, which is quite literally six people dressed up in mascot costumes um, that are playing live music and they sound really good. And like the singer has a really good voice. Uh, so it's just this cool kind of festive environment. And it just, it marries so well between like the festive quirkiness of minor league baseball when you first walk in. And then there's the historic components as well from an actual watching a game perspective, a big grandstand behind home that has that old feel to it. Uh, the press box, nothing to write home about, but they do have hot dogs on a roller that are consistently being cooked in the press box during the game. So if you're hungry, you could pop out of the booth and grab a hot dog um, and eat and pop right back in. So it's, I, I probably had the most fun this, this season so far in my time in Reading. So I don't think that I was out of pocket or completely putting words in your mouth when I did mention just how much you enjoyed it there. Not at all. <laughs> I think uh, just worth noting to circle back for the start of the season, we weren't on the road. So unfortunately for this year, we missed out on New Hampshire. We missed out on Erie and Hartford as well, though I've been to Hartford and that ballpark is spectacular. I think that's got to be the newest ballpark in the league was uh, built and finished in 2016, I want to say. And uh, that ballpark goes all the way around 360 Nearly the entire uh, thing is open. You can see the field from just about anywhere. They are the yard goats. They do have goats out in center field that you can go and pet. It's just really that newer feel, which I really enjoy. And to top it all off, they have one of the biggest screens, jumbotrons, whatever you want to call it, out in left field that I've seen at any ballpark. I mean, I guess it's not as big as what you see in center field of Yankee Stadium, but it's not that far behind. So that ballpark, Dunkin' Donuts Park in Hartford, is spectacular. Uh, unfortunately, we don't see Binghamton at all this season, so we won't check out. I think that's Nicelake Stadium. Uh, and then uh, we will see over these next few weeks Akron and Bowie. So a lot of great stops around the AA Northeast League. Just so much baseball history to offer, and you have the nuance of history, and then also some of these newer ballparks that provide so much fun and unique aspects. Uh, it really is great, and I look forward to checking out some of these parks with you as well throughout the rest of the day. And we always encourage Patriots fans to travel along with the team. But just one thing to get to here on the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. When we return, we'll take a look and check in with the rest of the Yankees affiliates. TD Bank is changing the game with curbside debit card replacement. Whether your debit card was lost in the couch or chewed up by your dog, they've got you covered. Just order a new debit card through the TD Bank app. Then you can walk, bike, or drive up to your nearby TD Bank to score your new card. Now that's the MVP treatment. TD Bank, proud sponsor of the Somerset Patriots. Member FDIC, TD Bank NA. Curbside pickup is only available for personal debit card replacements. In uncertain times, you need someone who has your back. That's why Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey Health Plans have the benefits you need. Telemedicine, so you can see a doctor anytime, anywhere. 
mental health professionals available 24-7, virtual ID cards and more on your phone. We'll help you find the plan that covers it all because everyone should feel like someone has their back. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey is here when you need us most, now and always. The Yankees have been on an absolute tear the last couple weeks. Let's check in with the rest of their affiliates. Tampa was home at George Steinbrenner Field this week, taking on the St. Lucie Mets as the Subway Series came to Low A Southeast. After the Mets won the first game of the series on Tuesday, 4-3, the Tarpons bounced back with a 3-2 victory on Wednesday. St. Lucie countered with a win on Thursday, and then Tampa back-to-back -back wins 8-4 and then 15-7 on Saturday. Tampa had already become the first Yankees affiliate to get to the 60-win plateau this season with a win over Clearwater on Sunday, and they currently sit at 63-29 coming into play on Sunday. It was a big week for a couple of different players on the Tarpons, including Aldeni Sanchez, who hit 500 on the week for Tampa and his first two home runs of the season. Tyler Hardman also had a good week going deep for the Tarpons for the first time as well. And Benjamin Coles hit 385 on the week for Tampa. It was a little bit of a down week for Jason Dominguez, just four for 18 at the plate. And Trey Sweeney managed only one hit so far this week in 14 trips to the plate. Following the day off on Monday, Tampa begins a seven game series with the Clearwater Threshers Tuesday night with a doubleheader coming up on Wednesday. With this look at the Tampa Tarpons, I'm Joe Basile. The Renegades had a 5-1 week beginning with last Sunday when they held on to beat Jersey Shore 5-4. The Brooklyn Cyclones came to town and the Gades greeted the Mets affiliate with a 3-2 win in 10 innings on Tuesday night. Wednesday began with a 5-0 lead for Hudson Valley as Austin Wells hit a 3-run homer. That lead would move to 6-4 before Brooklyn ran off for 7 runs in the 8th to take an 11-7 win. The loss pushed the Renegades out of the second seed in High A East. A similar formula seemed to be playing out on Thursday as the Gades built up a small lead before Brooklyn used a four-run six to take over. Hudson Valley rallied to tie, but the Cyclones regained the lead in the ninth. In the bottom of the ninth, Luis Santos reached on an infield hit. That brought up Anthony Volpe, who had been named the top prospect in the Yankees organization earlier that day by MLB Pipeline. Sitting on a 3-2 pitch, Volpe didn't miss. He kicks and fires, the runner in motion, and a high drive to deep left. Turning around, goes to Plantis. This is gone, and the ball game's over. Randy Vasquez worked six strong innings on Friday night, striking out eight as Pat DeMarco homered in a 3-1 win. On Saturday, the Hudson Valley veterans took the field at Dutchess Stadium for an emotional night. The Cyclones spoiled the party in the first with four quick runs off Mitch Spence, but the Gades got one back on a bases-loaded walk before James Nelson stepped to the plate with the bases still full. And he swings and hits a deep drive to left, moving back on at Ashford. He looks up. It is gone! A grand slam! And the Renegades take a 5-4 lead! The Renegades' defense and pitching all came together after that as Spence won his seventh and the Gades took a 6-4 victory. They also came back into second place in high A East. That's your Renegades recap. I'm Rob Adams. No game for Scranton-Wilkes-Barre on Sunday. Their slated series finale against the Worcester Red Sox at Polar Park 
was canceled early Saturday due to the impending impact of Hurricane Henry. Rail Riders coming off a loss Saturday, heading into a series on Tuesday against Lehigh Valley, 55-37. and 37. One of the stories of this past week in Worcester, Sean Boyle throwing a seven-inning no-hitter. Game two of a doubleheader Thursday night, Boyle's first-ever triple-A start. Two balls, two strikes, two down. The pitch. Fly ball towards shallow right field. Coming in, making the catch. Socrates Brito, the Rail Riders do it. It's Sean Boyle, a seven-inning no-hitter. And Scranton Wilkesbury mobs Sean Boyle, all of them on the mound. They knew it this time around. The second no-hitter this season for the Rail Riders. And it is spot starter Sean Boyle. After the game was over, local media caught up with Boyle, who needed 95 pitches to get through seven no-hit innings. I think my last outing, I threw 67 pitches, and that's the most I'd thrown since 2016. So to go out there, I was, you know, I was amped up uh, going into the fifth, but then when you get out there for the seventh and, you know, it's a short game, but, hey, I'll count it. You know, we knew it going in at seven innings. So, uh, but, yeah, going out there, I was definitely feeling a little bit more, and I think that worked for me, you know, a little bit of extra boost. Boyle was a part of Hudson Valley's no-hitter on July 10th. The Rail Riders threw one on July 21st, of course, and Somerset added one on August 8th. All this phenomenal effort taken into consideration, Boyle knows his place on this Rail Riders team. I know my role. I came up here to help the team out. You know, a lot of action going on lately. But, uh, you know, to come up here and get that opportunity, but then to do well feels even better. With this look at Scranton Wilkesbury, I'm Adam Marco. Well, another big week in Bridgewater, Somerset hosting the Akron Rubber Ducks. It's the first time we'll see Akron this season, the Cleveland Indians AA affiliate, and big-time playoff implications. Akron, the top team right now in the AA Northeast League, but the Patriots have 12 games against them over the next couple weeks of this season. First pitch at 7.05, Tuesday through Saturday, 5.05 start on Sunday as well. So we hope to either have you tune in on 1450 WCTC or MILB TV or come on and uh, stop by the broadcast booth. If you come on out to the ballpark, you can still get tickets at somersetpatriots.com. That's it for this edition of the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Patriots in Pinstripes podcast. Each episode is aired on the Voice of Central Jersey, 1450 WCTC, and WCTCAM.com with online versions made available on podcast streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Please consider giving us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the show. The Patriots and Pinstripes podcast is written, hosted, and edited by me, Mark Schwartz. It is produced by Jack Myatt, Ginny Ott, and the entire team at 1450 WCTC.